and welcome to the Doctor Who Show Hot Take Episode 4, The Spiders of Death. I'm sorry, arachnids in the UK. <laughs> I'm Dave. And I'm Rob. And this is <laughs> going to be our look at the latest episode of Doctor Who. How are you, Rob? I'm not bad, Dave. Series 11 uh, chugs along. I've literally just watched this in the last 10 minutes. I didn't get to do a sneaky lunchtime watch at work. How about you? Uh, much, much the same. Um, I was far too busy following the World Series, which the Red Sox have won this afternoon. Very good. So, uh, yes, I, I think I when I got your message saying that you had finished watching the episode, I had six minutes to go. So that was 20 minutes ago. We've literally just had enough time to set up our recording equipment. This is, once again, the hottest of hot takes. Yes, I'm very happy to hear about the, the Red Sox because in between wife number one and number two, I dated an American and she was from Boston. So you can imagine who she supported. And uh, <laughs> she bought me some lovely merchandise. So I can go out now on the streets in my uh, Red Sox gear and feel very uh, vindicated. Oh, fantastic. No, it's a, it's a great win. I'm very happy. Good Uh Before we get into the episode, of course, Dave, word of the week, it's something we've been uh, <laughs> including in some episodes and not in others. Do you have a word of the week for arachnids in the UK? Uh, yes, I have settled on the word Jaws. Jaws. My word of the week is Chibnall. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, so, so, Rob, I'm really throwing myself into this one um, more raw than any we've done certainly this season possibly even last season as well mm-hmm. i'm going to be going on gut emotion and feeling for a lot of this discussion and i'm going to be yeah. very interested in our november uh doctor who show where we come back and re- we reflect on this episode how my views have changed so that's a little bit of a teaser what did you think of this one Dave, I'm a bit disappointed by this episode. Uh, I've got to say up front, I thought it was incredibly basic. I think the plot was very easily solved. I couldn't get into it. Like, I never felt like I was really sucked into the story and I was like, oh, this is really good. I felt nothing a lot of the time with regard to the story conversely when it came to the characters i felt i learned a little more about them and i found them quite interesting there were some good lines so i know people often say that rtd stories were very light on story and very heavy on character this wasn't like an rtd story though to me but it was at the same time pretty light on story and i think i got a lot more out of the characters yeah i thought that this was in some ways an episode of two halves the first 20 to 25 minutes i was actually kind of engrossed in this i thought the opening direction was very good and and, and, okay let me let me make a point here if you call your story arachnids in the uk Mm. then it's kind of like calling your story planet of the daleks yes you you know that there are going to be spiders in it so let's just get down and dirty and do spidey things and I thought this episode did that well in that it didn't sort of sit there and go, oh, I wonder what the mystery is. It's like, okay, guys, we all know there are spiders. So let's just start making it about, well, when are you going to see the first one and, and build that up? And I thought that was done well. I enjoyed that build up. I, however, thought the second half was frankly dull. And yeah, mm-hmm. disappointing is a good word. To, to sum up how I felt about it, down near the bottom of my notes for this episode, I've got in great big letters with three exclamation marks after it, two words. Stop talking! (laughs) I 
I can't believe you just said that because do you want to know my wife's feedback? I often involve Jamie's feedback in these episodes. Do you know what she said at the end of it? Sure. She said, you know, Rob, because she's American. She said, they think these are like Big Finish. They talk too much. (laughs) (laughs) They just stand around and talk. What's with that? (laughs) And that's exactly what you're saying. Yeah, it it really was. Um, The second half, as I say, the second half. They, there was just lots of standing around explaining the plot to each other and it was really, really dull. Like, everybody watching this episode knew that they were giant spiders and I reckon 80% of them could probably guess that they were giant spiders that mutated because of toxic stuff that happened because corporate man did something stupid. Like, mm. an eight-year-old could write this plot and they were explaining it to us and, oh... I, the, the second half just did nothing for me, which is a shame because I liked the first. I, I, I'm going to keep saying that I liked the first half, but oh my god, the second half did nothing. They just they saw a spider. They stood in one room and talked about the spider. They moved to another room and talked about the spider. Then they talked about the spider some more. Then, yeah. it, ended, then it ended. And in between, we would get to see a spider like run across a ceiling or a floor. Yeah. <laughs> Do you think there was a moment in this where Chibnall? I don't know if he's out on set, but thought, oh gee. I've just got a really big room and some people talking and we're going to throw in some CG spiders. There's not much here. I wonder if he actually got pulled back. Mm-hmm. As in, did he write a script that actually had a very different second half that was perhaps more scary with the spiders doing stuff and someone higher up said, sorry, Chris, we've told you we're pitching this broad, we're pitching this wide, we're pitching this Sunday afternoon you know, dinner time. You can't have a spider doing that, that or that. And he's had to sort of go along and scrabble that out and, and sort of just have, oh, well, I guess we'll just talk a bit then. Yeah, look, quite quite possibly. I was disappointed, Dave, you know, for something messing up all of South Yorkshire, which is like one of the lines the doctor uh, said, you know, oh, this is affecting South Yorkshire. Where was the menace? Like in classic Doctor Who, we would have gone out and looked at the streets and there might have been empty streets or there might have been people running around the streets whatever but something would have been happening this felt like oh the city's just going on as normal there's a train going by everyone's pretty chill except for a few people who have got a spider in their house and uh now we're at a deserted hotel and so there's no one there to really worry about this uh but apparently these spiders are all over the city like when the doctor started drawing all those lines to connect the big web to show the hotel in the middle of the web well where was all the panic where where what, what the hell you know and did they ever link Yaz's neighbour back to the hotel in, in in a way such way that the spider would be there? Uh, offhand, no, but someone might write in and tell us yes. But, but offhand, I can't think of it. Because there was a line there where the doctor very clearly said, okay, Yaz's mum, you're, you're, you've been to both these locations. You must be the link. And I'm sitting there going, mm. okay, okay, there's something going on there. But that wasn't really followed through and neither does it explain why there was a spider in or a spider skin in uh, Graham's wife's house. No, no, that's exactly right. Unless they were just getting about and going into houses without following the pheromones or something, you know, once they were out in the wild, in, in, maybe they were just looking case, for places. In which case, like you say, have have something, you know, have, have the man from the ministry visit Yaz's police station and say... There's been a lot of mysterious deaths around here, unexplained events, and or have the the forensic pathologist who comes in and says the, the these couldn't have been made by any creature known to man. Ooh, 
Like, mm. do, yeah, you're right. Do something that says that someone out there was affected by these spiders. Yeah, or have, you know, a couple of cars that have crashed and their doors are open and the headlights are on, but no one's around, you know, because they've seen a spider and they've crashed into each other and the spiders have pulled the people out of the cars. Mm-hmm. And, you know, have an eerie sort of scene like that. Have That's a fairly simple thing to do. You just need a couple of cars, you know. Uh, there, there was just none of that. It, it was really quite bizarre. Yeah, I, th- I think we're in very firm agreement on this one. Yeah, and it, it's yeah. a shame because, as I say, I, I like the build-up. I, I like that opening direction from the spider point of view, where you're sitting there going, "Ooh, ooh is this a spider? Is this a spider?" Or you're waiting, you're waiting for it to appear. We're going to see one now. We're going to see one now. Uh, the first reveal under the bed was really cool. Uh, the spider bursting through into the bathroom was really cool, and I thought, "Okay, great. Now they're going to do stuff with these spiders." Yeah, and no. then I did. <laughs> Look, this might be a nice segue into talking about some characters, and I want to kick off with Yaz, because you keep mentioning the first half of the episode being really good. I'm going to say the first half of this episode was the Yaz episode. Yeah. Like, you know, whoops, we've been forgetting about her. Let's put her front and center. Let's show her family. You know, Yaz is doing stuff. Yay, Yaz. The first half, I thought, oh my god, well, this is the Yaz episode, it's finally happening, this is very good, I I like her family, they're quite fun, you know, the sister who's, you know, keen on Ryan, the the, the father who's a a bit of a mess when it comes to cooking, like, this is all really great, Uh, but then she just sort of melted into the background during the second half. I agree that Yaz was given more screen time. I certainly agree that her family was very cool and very well characterised, as you say, you, you got to know what this family was and the dynamics between the characters very quickly and very, very concisely written. You know, good, good stuff there. I don't know that I actually know anything more about Yaz at the end of this episode. I know she has a family. I can tell you all about that family. Mm-hmm. Did I learn anything about Yaz during this episode? Like her herself, what motivates her, what drives her, what sort of character she is, how she reacts in circumstances. I, I don't think oh. I did. I think there was a very good scene where you might have done that, and I would like to call it the Boba Fett Return of the Jedi scene. Okay. <laughs> and by this, if you think of Return of the Jedi, Dave, and uh, Luke Skywalker is about to go into the Sarlacc pit, and he uh, does his little uh, salute to R2-D2, in other words, you know, shoot the lightsaber up into the air for me, buddy. He shoots the lightsaber up into the air, Luke Skywalker grabs the lightsaber and starts hacking the hell out of everyone on that little sail barge. You know the scene, right? I, I know the scene. Okay. Boba Fett sees what's going down. What's the first thing Boba Fett does? Launches his jetpack and he's right into the action. And that says a lot about Boba Fett as a character. He's not scared of Luke Skywalker the Jedi. He's into the scrap. And that, in just a very simple scene, says a lot about him. In this episode, there was a scene, they're in the hotel, I can't think of the exact circumstances except they're in the hotel, and the doctor's like, okay, I'm going to go and look at this big spider. Who's the first person who follows her with a very resolute look on her face? It's Yaz. And I saw that scene, and that to me was the Boba Fett scene, like, there's danger up ahead, it's a huge spider, I'm following her. And I thought, yeah, okay, that just showed me something about Yaz. I picked up on that. It's only a very small thing, you know. You might have looked away to, to have a Coke or something at that moment and just missed it, mm-hmm. you know. But it was it was there, and I thought that was pretty cool. Interesting, because is that the scene that it then follows up with Graham standing in the corridor as bait? Ah, uh, that would have been around that same time, yes. Because <laughs> my, my take out of it was that Graham ended up actually doing the scary job. Yeah, yeah, well, and, and Ryan too. And, and, uh, and yeah, then, then you're surprised by Ryan jumping out. 
Yeah. So look, they all, they all had some good stuff to do, but I think the the particular spider they're going after was it was a big one. They hadn't seen it yet though, and so she was facing the unknown. And I I thought there was something to it, but again, the second half of the episode she did just kind of melt away into the background and and maybe some of the other characters didn't come across as well this week either to me and we can get to well whichever one you want to talk about next if we're done on Yaz yeah look yeah look it was certainly a better episode for her but I still don't feel I know her as a character Uh, again interested in audience feedback are you getting to know her as a character because I'm I'm not Mm. let's move on to Ryan okay he was good the end I made a, a bit more of a note here. I, I put that he's quite mellowed out this week. Um, the scene where he wasn't too impressed with his dad's offer, you know, suggesting that he comes and lives with him and, and such. And, you know, it sort of suggested that he's now seeing Graham as family. And I thought, well, that's really nice. You know, he's mellowed out a bit, sees Graham as family. This is the way we want it to go, surely. We want Graham and Ryan to get along. But I thought, Christ, this is a rapid turnaround from being really dismissive of Graham as recently as the riverbank scene in Rosa, where he just he didn't want to fist bump, you know, Graham. Like, they'd just done a really awesome thing and got that bus driver back on the job. And Graham's like, ah, let, you know, let's fist bump. And he's like, no, no, you know, piss off old man sort of thing. I thought, eh, this is a big turnaround. It's a welcome one, but it's a big turnaround. Yeah, look, I was being a little bit... um silly when I, when I sort of said, you know, a, a two-line review. He, he was good in this. Uh, I think he was definitely underused uh, in this one, which I think is something we're, we're, we're starting to see. If one character gets used well, another one has to sort of fade into the background. I don't think there is the space in these episodes for a four-person TARDIS crew. That, that's the impression I'm getting. Well, you know what, Dave? I thought they were being so clever at the start because it's like, oh, tea at Yaz's and Graham's like, well, I'm going to go home, you know, because I want to have a bit of time there. And obviously, because he's lost Grace, he's going to have that moment. And he gets that moment. And I thought, oh, great, they're splitting them up. And it feels natural. It feels absolutely natural that Graham would go home for a bit, catch them up. Wow, wow, this is working. Oh, my God. But then it didn't come to much in the end. Yeah, it did feel a bit like that sort of old school TARDIS team where they do split the TARDIS crew up and Graham would go off and investigate that bit and the Doctor and Yaz might go and investigate that bit and then they'll sort of, you know, the resolution that all find all came together. But no, they, mm. they, they didn't. Um, what you said before about Ryan, I think, is reflective of the fact they're back on Earth. And I found that a really interesting and natural take in that whilst they're off having adventures in time and space, there is a certain amount of avoiding reality and, and not being part of reality and just sort of holding things in stasis emotionally. Mm-hmm. But now that they're back on Earth, I think it does allow the characters, particularly Ryan and Graham, to, to grow a bit more. And I think that's what you did see. Suddenly, they do have to go back and it's like, well, this isn't just a dream or this isn't just a fantasy. Um, my grandma, my wife did die and I'm back in the city and now I'm back potentially living my life and I've got to start dealing with this. And, and so that emotional connection between Ryan and Graham was a reflection of the fact that they are now back on Earth in Sheffield and having to actually move on in life a little bit. And that's the way you saw that progression. Mm, that's interesting and it makes me feel a bit better about it because I just thought it was such a, a marked difference for for an episode where they've clearly just come from the previous episode. You, you had that sense. Speaking of, this whole I can't control the TARDIS and when the TARDIS is in flight, we've all got to throw ourselves about. What's all that about? Well, considering they landed in Sheffield exactly half an hour after they left, I'm not sure. <laughs> 
Yeah, I, I don't know whether it's it's exciting. It's meant to be exciting for the little kids. Like, oh, look, oh, this is crazy. Flying on the Tardis, man. Wow. Oh, my God. Yeah. You know? Yeah, no, look, I think it is. And I think I think for that audience, that works. And I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. I'm just, again, as a sad fan who's sitting here doing a hot take podcast review 10 minutes after he's watched it, <laughs> I, I do have to call out the fact that I can't control the TARDIS. It's going all over the place. Oh, wow. Oh, I've landed you exactly to the time and spot where you should be. Yeah. <laughs> um, shall we move on to Graham next? Graham was really good in this. He was a really, really? good performance. I thought so, yeah. This is my favourite Graham yet. Wow, because I jotted down I didn't feel he was as vital, that he was as funny that he was exciting as the first three episodes. I think there was some nice reflective moments with Grace's ghost uh, or that figment of his imagination that sort of manifested as a ghost. He did have some good lines here and there, but he didn't stand out to me like he stood out in the first three episodes. I still quite like him. I still like him the most out of the companions. But to me, he was way down in this episode too. I certainly thought that he had less utilisation. I don't disagree with you on that i just really liked what bradley walsh did with the material he had i thought he he, uh, in a script where i was starting to get very very bored as people stood around and explained the plot to each other i thought Mm. at least this guy's putting in some really good acting effort and he's actually carrying in coming through some emotion so i thought he outperformed the script and i'm giving him lots of lots of points for that i do have to say though whilst i like his performance in the ghost scene I hate TV ghosts. Yeah. It is such a cheap, cynical device. I hated it in The West Wing. I hated it in other shows. It's just, no, don't do that. (laughs) We're better than that. Fair enough. Uh, There's really only two... Oh, I mean, there are some minor characters like Yaz's mum, Nadja, and, and so on. But to me, there's only really two other characters to discuss, and that's the Doctor and Jack Robertson. Mm-hmm. Do, you, do you want to tackle either of those first? Um, look, we're, we're doing the TARDIS crew, so let's do the Doctor. Okay. One note that I had here is that in the last couple of weeks, we've had some feedback both directly to us in, in emails and, and tweets, or I've seen generally on social media, saying that people are seeing uh, the Tenant Doctor in Jodie's performance. And and you and I sort of said, oh, I'm not, not sure we see that. I, maybe others do, but we don't. This episode, yeah. I really saw David Tennant in her performance, particularly in some of that early stuff. <laughs> Took the words right out of my mouth, or right off the paper. Uh, I'm increasingly seeing the Tennantisms I've sketched down here. The whole, I've never had an apartment, you know. What if I had a sofa? Oh, you know. I, I thought, this is just pure Tennant. Like, I, I can't spin it any other way, you know? And and I agree. In the earlier episodes, people say, oh, this is so tenant. I was like, yeah, I'm not so sure. It could be. Might not be. Here, absolutely. Wasn't for the whole episode. There were some very quieter moments, reflective moments, non-tenant moments, you could call them. But when she was tenant, she was very, very tenant. And she keeps making reference to still not knowing herself. Mm. And I don't I don't know whether it's still all going to change or whether that's just there because they really are hand-holding the audience a lot and doing it for the kids, whether it's just to remind people that, oh, yeah, she recently changed. She used to be different. And now she doesn't know who she is, you know, or whether she is actually going to have a personality change at some point and she'll drop all the, you know, 
I've never had an apartment. I should buy an apartment. You know, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, um, there was one line that really annoyed me, which was not when she called the guy dude. I was I was fine with that. I moved on from that. My wife laughed at that. She actually enjoyed it. But then she had to turn to the camera and say, I call people dude now. I'm like, your wife put it exactly the right way. This isn't a big finish play. (laughs) Don't explain to me what I just saw. I know you call people dude now because you just called him dude. I watched it happen. I don't need it to be told. Um, and and that—that's actually probably more Matt Smith than Tennant. I, I that, that thing of I need to narrate my life for the audience. You know, I do this now. I do this now. This is cool. Like, just just do it. Let me watch you. Just let me watch you. You're a character on TV. I'm watching you. Yeah, that was a disappointing aspect. It's like you know, as Chibnall been sitting at home making notes on what people on the internet liked about Tennant and Smithy, and so he's just making her do it now. It's it's like. Uh... There could be more going on here, and there's not. I'm a little worried. But then again, it is a Chibnall story. And, you know, Steve from uh, New to Who on our last hot take didn't really want to go down this path too much. But I kind of pointed out that the first two episodes were, yeah, they're all right. When we got to the third episode that wasn't a Chibnall episode, suddenly it was amazing. Uh, Now we've got a Chibnall episode, and we're back to, "Mm, yeah, I don't know. So (laughs) are we seeing a pattern emerge here, Dave? Uh, We are seeing several data points that may form a pattern <laughs> by the end of the series um we're not we're not at pattern stage yet but the trend line is not looking good for dave mr chip i'm afraid <laughs> i know uh, i mean I, i've seen some of the names of upcoming episodes i've got a sense of what some of them are about i know they're not all written by him and i'm thinking hey there could be some really good stuff coming down the pipe but this one just felt like a huge not a misstep to me, but it just felt like it, there was a little bit of useful character building, but on the whole, not much more was going on. And it was Chibnall at the wheel again. Which I guess takes us to Jack Robertson. Yes. What were they doing? I think it was very confused. I turned to Jamie after about 30 seconds and said, they're doing Trump. He owns hotels. He's got his, you know, logo. This is Trump. Yeah, he, 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 he's click- a germaphobe. He, he's running for election 2020. Yeah, I, I thought I just thought this is this is this is so unsubtly Trump. But then there was the whole "you don't like Trump" line or whatever it was. So clearly, Trump exists in this universe, yeah, and it's not him. And I'm like, ah, and he was playing it very straight. Yet I think it might have been written more as a parody. And I, I just don't know whether the actor wasn't getting it or his director wasn't sort of you know, I, I, I directing know I him very well it. or. I, I thought, is he is he meant to be a parody? Is this meant to be funny? Or is he meant to be deadly serious? Because I, I can't take him seriously either. It was a real struggle to sort of get anywhere with this character. Yeah, I, I again, the first half, I thought, okay, they're doing Trump. Well, it's a little bit obvious, but what what the hell? There's material there, might as well. Um, and, and, and then, yeah, and then it's sort of like, gee, he's kind of pitching this very differently to the regular cast, isn't he? Okay, maybe that's a choice. And yeah, then they had that whole bit about, oh, he hates Trump, he hates Trump. I'm like, well, if you're doing a satire of Trump, do a satire of Trump. Don't say you are and then put a big stamp on saying, no, we're not. I I just want... I'm, I'm going to be really interested to one day read the making of or hear the true making of this story. I think something got, went wrong somewhere here. Now, whether it was BBC higher-ups going tone down the violence and rewrite the ending uh, whether somebody around the place said look um 
you, you can't do Trump. That's just not not appropriate. It's too political. We don't want that. Paul take it out or or a director said I'm not doing that. Or, or, or there was an argument between Chibnall and the director, or the script editor and the director, or, mm. or the actor and the director. Like you know, this this could be one of those ones where in ten years' time you find out that the actor who played Art Robertson just totally didn't get on with the director. You know, yeah. that that wouldn't shock me to find that out. Yeah, or look, even more basic than that, he's a he's a US actor. Like he's very famous for being in Sex in the City, for example. Maybe he just doesn't get Doctor Who and where it's pitched. Mm. Or, or even just this Chibnall era of Doctor Who and where it's pitching, because you're right, he was sort of not on the same level as the other cast members. It just, yeah. it just didn't gel. So, so to, to, to flesh that out a little bit, there were some really nice acting slash directorial touches in this. I've mentioned before the Spider POV stuff, the way they did the reveals. Uh, the conversation between Ryan and Yaz's sister was really well directed and really subtle. Just some of those glances that Ryan gave of, Hang on, did she just say, oh, I'm not sure how I feel about that? You know, those sort of things. The way they played the whole um, uh, Yaz's mother asking if she and Jody, she and the Doctor were an item. Again, yes. really clever, really well played, really subtle. Everything Graham did, particularly that stuff where he's outside the house or where he just decides he, he needs to go and deal with a few things and not go to dinner. Really well played, really subtle. Done with real quality acting. And into this yes. story sort of barges this guy who's kind of not quite but kind of a bit doing a trump thing and he's kind of doing funny lines but not quite and he's kind of yes he's kind of cowardly but not and then he's kind of and uh, <laughs> it just didn't it was he was in the wrong episode yeah yeah i i i agree with all of that and that's what makes this episode so damn frustrating to me even as i sit here now and i'm sort of thinking about what i'm going to score it because there are moments in this episode I really quite enjoyed. There are some gorgeous moments in this episode. Yes, 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 a million times yes. It's not an episode where it's like, oh, everything went wrong, I hated it. No, there, there are some moments I really, really enjoyed, but overall, it just doesn't hang together no, at all. No, it, it really doesn't, it really doesn't. Hmm. Speaking of something that doesn't hang together, Dave, yeah. the, the ending of this episode where Ryan gets the banging rap music going and, and the, the spiders are going down into the safe room. And I thought, oh, it seems like there's a lot of spiders to fit in that little room, but, oh, well, you know, okay, let's go with it. Uh, and the spiders are going down into that room and they go up and they see the big spider. It's like, oh, there it is. Oh, it can't breathe. It's dying. And then the dude comes in, shoots it, that was pretty much the end of the episode. He walks off, the end. Um, like, I know they have the nice TARDIS scene after that and everything, but in terms of the actually wrapping up the spiders, well, well, who went and turned off the music? How long did they give it for all the spiders to come in from all over South Yorkshire? How did they all fit in that room? What, what the hell happened? It just wasn't resolved at all. The ending was this episode in microcosm. Because the first half, I'm sitting there going... Okay, this is kind of fun. This is very Doctor Who. We, we're using oddball, interesting tech, and we're using vibrations through music and, and everything. Okay, yeah. there's going to be a really clever thing here, and they're going to take all the spiders to somewhere, and then the Doctor's going to do something really clever and fix the world. And I'm thinking, okay, this is going, this is going to be a good ending. And then halfway no. through, no. <laughs> and yeah, like, okay, they get the bit where you go, oh, this this thing, you know, it's clearly not a monster. It's It has no malevolence. It has no evil towards us. It's just a monster that's been caught up in, in, in pollution and, and that's sad and she can't breathe. And I'm sitting there thinking, what, what, are they, what are they going to do? Is the Doctor going to 
taking it to a planet with less gravity or is the doctor going to get the sonic screwdriver out and wave it around and crack mm-hmm. open her, her her shell so that she can you know, or something you know is there going to be some resolution was unexpected no the guy just came in and shot it yeah which kind of made the whole episode kind of less terrifying like one bullet takes out the mother spider so yeah. why didn't they just like like what have we been scared of for the last 50 minutes yeah, and I got the sense it was all building up so I could say, you know, I, I shot it and that was, you know, shooting things is this, what civilised people do and it was a comment on guns in America and all of that, which was kind of funny, but it felt like it was just all designed to build up to that and it just didn't pay off big enough for me to... Yeah, know. and that whole, he's going to be president, God help us. Like, okay, it's political point made, whatever, that's fine. But... You just deal with the end, the episode's big bad or, you know, monster or whatever you want to call it. I'm just, you know, some, I just it's not a monster, but you all know what I mean. Yeah. The, 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 the big issue or the big thing that's the, the threat in the episode, mm-hmm. um, which, which has eaten people. Like, it's not as though it's innocent. Um, and it was shot with a pistol. One one bullet. Yeah. <laughs> so, so this whole problem we've been running... Like... Oh, yeah, you know, I this, know. This was the Pertwee era... He would have shot it ten minutes in. It would have bounced off its its um, shell, and we were going, "Oh, well, bullets can't solve us. This is going to be tougher." No, nah, he should have just shot it in Act One. We'd all have been spared the talking for twenty minutes. Yeah, exactly right. You know, it's just disappointing. So so many strands, strands like spider webs, Dave. If I'm going to be poetic, and just they weren't really tied up. They weren't followed. Mostly, ah, oh, very disappointing. Um, we have mentioned the spiders visually. What did we think? I think CG uh, in this episode was very well done. It did the job. Um, they moved quite realistically. They looked pretty good, you know, set against real-world backgrounds. No complaints. Yeah, I thought the spiders were pretty cool. Um, the opening credits, have they re- remixed the opening credits, do you think, Rob? I uh, didn't pay enough attention to really to really notice. Wouldn't uh, surprise me. I, I just thought, and I was paying a bit of attention to it this time, because... Um, uh, Simon on the Blue Box podcast mentioned this in their episode three review that he thought they had. And I, I I agree with him. Um, it's the 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 drum beat in there is is just a little bit more subtle, and mm-hmm. um, it, it, I th- it works really well. I've I've really come to like these opening themes based m- music and graphics. I'm I'm really enjoying them. Uh, I'm still hating the TARDIS console room. <laughs> Do you notice it's designed because it's got colors and and shapes and reflective surfaces? They're they're getting some interesting shots. The directors are getting some interesting shots on the set. No, I just think they're getting shots where we can't see everybody. <laughs> Fair enough. I, I, Fair I, enough. Honestly, I, I don't think it's that interesting. I think it's too dark, and it's incredibly hard to actually shoot a, a scene where people are standing naturally. And and you know, whenever you see. Um, Janet Fielding talk about directing Doctor Who and, and her mm. era, and particularly in the commentaries that she does on DVDs. And she always talks about how, look how we're lined up perfectly in a row so the camera can have four people talking and we can see all their faces and nobody ever stands like that. Yeah. In the TARDIS console room, because you've got these things you can't shoot around, suddenly everybody has to stand sort of all condensed and s- stuck into one area in a way that nobody would ever stand. Um mm. Yeah, look, some people are liking it, and fair enough, I don't like it. Okay, fair enough. Should we go to the Chibnall death count, Dave? <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, what do we have, two more this episode? Three. I'm going to count three. Uh, well, we have... I'm going to count the body they found in the apartment 
at the start. Oh, of course. You know, I had forgotten about her. Yeah. And then, of course, the bodyguard and then the assistant. Yeah. So what was the assistant doing when she got killed? Uh, she seemed to be onto what was happening and was making a video of it. Maybe she was going to give that to the press. You know, maybe, you know, when he knew he was compromised at the start, it was because she was telling him that maybe she was going to go and tell people about it. Hmm. You know, that that's about my best guess there. It wasn't that explicit, but no. I assume she was getting some evidence of some sort. Yeah, it did seem as though it was a bit of a throwaway moment to just kind of, I'm not sure what. Yeah. Yeah. So, final point before we go to the sports desk, Rob, that I've got. Mm. Okay. Uh, episode one. Yes. Tim Shaw is sort of kicked off a thing and vanishes, and that's all right. We've dealt with that. Yep. Episode two. Uh, the guy who's running the game just clicks his fingers and just vanishes, and that's the end of that. Yep. Episode three. The time-meddling racist guy is just sort of dealt with when the plot's run out of things to do with him and just sent back in time and he's gone. Yes, I see where this is going. Episode four, uh, Jack Robertson, whose who's greed and vice has caused this all to happen, um, I guess just wandered off and just, just got on with his life, maybe? I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He's just like, oh, shoots the spider, see you, bye. <laughs> um, yeah, given, given that we've had a six-minute long scene of people saying, so, can I come with you? Do you want to come with me? Yeah, I'd like to come with me. We can come with me. You want? Well, I'll come with you. What about you? Do you want to? Go? I'll come with you. Too. We had six <laughs> minutes of that. We couldn't afford yeah. maybe two minutes of this guy has to learn a lesson, and or this guy's going to be arrested, or this guy like you know, um, um, his assistant's video. You know, she wasn't recording; she was live streaming, and uh, uh-huh. you know, where was his comeuppance? There, well, there wasn't one. Quite simply, there wasn't. No, and neither was there a point made that there wasn't. He, he just, they forgot to write him off. You know, or, or is it a postmodern comment on how guys like him always get away with stuff, Dave? If it was. Because he got away with it. Yeah, yeah, it might be. But if it was, Nadia colours to that mast and, mm. and do something. I don't know. Maybe I'm being, maybe I'm being in, in, in un, ungenerous with this. But it, it is now, I think, four episodes in a row where I've been a bit unsatisfied with how they've dealt with the monster. And I don't know. Yeah, I think it's a very valid comment. So, Rob, shall we go to the sports desk? Let's go. So, Rob, let's kick us off. What was your play of the week? Dave, my play of the week... It was the doctor's words to her companions at the end when they said they wanted to, you know, come and journey in the TARDIS. Specifically, when Jodie got very serious and said, you know, you'll come back changed. And Graham was like, well, that's good, isn't it? And I think that line might come back to haunt him. So I I, I liked both the doctor acknowledging that travelling with him slash her changes people and warning companions up front instead of just like holding out a hand and saying you know come come with me this will be great uh there was a real warning there and graham thinking that everything's going to be fine i just thought oh there's something in this i i quite like that moment and it's telling that that had nothing to do with the rest of the story (laughs) i i did like that moment as well i thought it was a really good moment my problem was that it was a really good two minute scene crammed into six minutes sure (laughs) And, and and in a story that 
left threads unanswered and sort of threw away characters a little bit too easily. I thought all, all I was doing was pointing out that there was more space in which we could have expanded some of these plots. Okay. Uh, my play of the week, I'm going to give to some of the opening direction. I think, as I said, if, if your episode is called Arachnids in the UK, then you are sitting there going, right, where are the spiders? And when I saw that little sort of, you know, creeping along the ground point of view sort of stuff, I was going, oh, this is interesting. Is that a spider? Is that a spider? And, and mm. it did actually really engage me. And for the first 10, 15 minutes, I was really kind of hooked in this episode. And, and I want to emphasize that because we've, we've not smashed this episode, but we've been pretty down. These first 15 minutes, I was really engaged. And so those directorial choices get my play of the week. I think it's important that you, you point out how you like things like that and how I've pointed out lines I've liked or moments I've enjoyed because there were good moments in this. I stress that again. I said it earlier. I stress it again here. I think we are panning the episode, but it's not like we hated every every moment of it. No, and, and that's the more frustrating thing. Sometimes you can look at an episode and go, this just isn't working for me or this just hasn't worked. And that's a shame, but that's okay. I don't have to watch it again. It, what a shame, whatever. This one, I'm, I'm looking at it going, I was, I was enjoying this and there are good performances and it all just fell apart. And it could have, mm. could have been so much more. Indeed. Let's move on to Foul of the Week. You have the floor, Dave. Uh, I'm going to go for the great big 10-minute talking scene where they explain the plot like I was six. (laughs) Fair enough. Um, And and I know we have to appeal to to younger audiences, but I I don't think people are so unsophisticated that, as I say, they hadn't worked out quickly what was going on, and it was just so drawn out. And and as I said, I was just like, for God's sake, stop talking! It was yes. like watching The Prisoner of Azkaban all over again. <laughs> My foul of the week, Dave, is the concept. I think spiders are just so overdone. You might gasp at this, but things like spiders, dinosaurs, you know, there are just some really cliched things that to, to be reaching for spiders only four episodes into a new series, it doesn't fill me with a lot of hope in some ways. And the name of the episode, Dave, you know, it's this jaunty play on anarchy in the UK, but there were no punk rockers. There wasn't even any anarchy going on, you know. For, yeah, yeah. For some, as I said earlier, for something that was messing up all of South Yorkshire, where was the menace? Where was the fear? Where was the terror? Where were the people running down the streets? Where were the cars crashing into one another? Where were the fires breaking out? Where were people saying, you know, holy f- there's huge spiders running down my street. Where was that? Where, where the bloody hell was that? Well, I guess Arachnids in a Deserted Hotel wouldn't have been quite as an exciting title. <laughs> but that's what it turned out to be. And surely at some point when Chibnall's typing this into his keyboard, he should realise that all I've got is some CG spiders in an empty hotel. It's not the most fascinating of things. I think if we could sum up our thoughts on this episode in one sentence, it, it, it is that it's we went in wanting arachnids in the UK and we got arachnids in a deserted hotel. That's the problem. Yes. Thumbs up. Your player of the week, Rob. Dave, I'm giving my player of the week to Yaz. Because we have sort of said for the first three episodes, where's Yaz? When's she going to get a go? And I maintained for the first half of this episode, I thought this was the Yaz episode. I really enjoyed what she was doing. I enjoyed meeting her family. I know you say you don't 
Noah much better as we sit here right now, but I feel that she finally got her moment and it was to the detriment of Graham and Ryan and other characters and so on, but Yaz got her moment and simply I don't think I could put another character ahead of her in this race because the other characters didn't really do as much for me. Well, fair enough. That's, that's, that's a nice thing to say. I like that. Yeah. I'm giving it to Graham. In a script that was extremely light, extremely flaky, with some performances that were underplayed and some performances that were good but, but varied, I thought he lifted the material he was given in a really, really good way and a really fine performance. And I think it's easy to be a good actor in a good story. Mm-hmm. But to be a really good actor who's who's convincing me when I'm bored and disappointed takes extra skill. And Bradley Walsh did that in this one. And so I'm giving him my player of the week. Well, well, I'm delighted because I am Team Graham normally. So, um, yeah, delighted to hear that, Dave. Yeah, no, no, very, very happy to do that. All right, Dave, we've also got some short feedback from Twitter from some of our listeners. But before we get to that, we do have our words of the week and we also have to give our scores and sort of wrap up the episode first. So who wants to take lead here? Oh, look, I haven't been here for a couple of weeks, so I'll, I'll go ahead. Okay. My word of the week was Jaws. Yes. And that is probably no surprise, a reflection on the Jaws saga. Mm-hmm. Uh, I once saw an interview with one of the producers of Jaws 1, 2 and 3. Um, or certainly he was involved in 1 and 2 and I think left 3. But anyway, he was involved in the Jaws saga. And he said when they were planning Jaws 2, they said, right, we've done the movie where you don't see the shark until the end and you build the tension. Everyone has now seen the shark. So when you call a movie Jaws 2, it's no shock that it's a great big shark. So what you do is you go and you do a heap of really cool things with that shark that don't require suspense, that don't require it to be hidden. So you open with a shark attack and then you just have shark after shark after shark. And I thought... In this episode, it's called Arachnids in the UK. So I thought they opened with, let's do spidery stuff. Good direction. We're going to do webs. We're going to do this. We're going to have somebody found in their bed covered in cobweb. And I thought, right, they're doing the Jaws 2 thing. They're saying, it's all about spiders. Let's do it. Then as it got more and more silly and they didn't really do anything, I thought, this is actually Jaws the Revenge. (laughs) And all I I needed was Michael Caine to come along and go, spiders come and go, you know. And so I just thought this was like the Jaws saga. You know, it started as Jaws 2 and it ended as Jaws the Revenge. Okay. My word of the week was Chibnall. Uh, (laughs) Very tongue-in-cheek here because I'm just feeling that when I see that name pop up on the credits, and I I do take on board he had a co-credit on Rosa, but the other three episodes he's written here are tending to be more like the worst of his output for Doctor Who and indeed Torchwood. And many of the things people said when he was announced a showrunner, like, oh, God, he's the guy who wrote this episode and that episode is sort of coming true. And when I see that name pop up on the screen, I'm starting to get the uh, the cold sweats, Dave. And this is why I say, Rob, I'm going to be really interested in how we feel about this one when we do our next uh, monthly wrap, uh, in which we'll have four episodes, I think, to talk about this as well as yes. five, six and seven and whether, having seen another three, we're more forgiving of this one, or we see this one as an outlier, or we, or we see this one as an aberration, or whether, having seen episodes um, five, six, and seven, we see this one as really the start of a pattern. Yes. And and uh, I'm very open to it not being part of a pattern. I'm very opening open to a 
slow, careful, perhaps occasionally too careful start to a series, and then they just start knocking out of the park from here. Yep. We'll see what happens. Yeah, look, I'm not into self-fulfilling prophecies. I don't want these things to sort of go downhill just so I can say, ha, I picked it. You know, I'm really clever. I'm Nostradamus. I don't care about any of that sort of stuff. I'd be delighted if next episode we go, holy hell, that was the best episode I ever saw. And then the episode after that we go, that was amazing too. And it just goes from strength to strength because it is a show we love. It's a show we really want to love. Ah, this week just didn't do it for me. And let's face it, in the history of Doctor Who, classic and new... How many seasons can we think of that do start with that first three or four episodes where we're going, oh, this is maybe a little bit soft. I mean, I know they need to get the general audience back, but do they need to be this? And then suddenly they, they turn a switch, they go up a gear, and it's just a whole different thing. And that could well happen. Well, look, the first Eccleston series, I think, is weaker in the first half and brings it home in the second half. Well, the first, oh, the first, Eccleston, the first Eccleston series really, for me, never landed until Dalek. Yes, correct. Um, <laughs> it's... Uh, and, and, Great and, example. Yeah, yeah, and the same, the same with um, I mean, the Tenant series. The first Tenant series took ages to get going. Let's face it, the first Tenant series really didn't get going until the next series after. But anyway, that's another story. <laughs> Dave, what's your mark out of ten? Oh, you see, this is hard. Do I do I mark it on how I felt at the end, or do I give an average over the fifty minutes? That is the hard part. Look, I'll say a five. I was going to go with five and a half, so we're in the same ballpark. Yeah, uh, yeah, and 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 again. Maybe looking back in three, four weeks when I'm the disappointment is less raw to go up, or maybe this is just one where I go, you know what? This was this was the this was the stinker of the season. Yeah, look, to me this was just Chibnall writing a bad Torchwood episode. You know? It was so close to being really good. I know. It was so I close. Know. I know. <laughs> All right, well All right. yeah, let's see if um let's see what our listeners think. We've had a couple of uh, tweets you said. We do. David Clark at David Clark 14 on Twitter says, Ep4 and my missus has just got from behind the sofa. A nice creepy episode where the baddies were the human race. All well acted again. Still love Graham the best and Jodie is becoming a great doctor. A strong 8 out of 10. Never going to Celtic Manor again. Well, gosh, David quite liked it. Yeah, well, good, good. I hope that, I hope that more people like it than dislike it. Yeah. Uh, Bernard D at Bernard JKD says, was bored senseless tonight? <laughs> Here's the flip side of the coin. Yeah. Slow, slow moving, lame derivative concept, unengaging, some very unsubtle SJW politics. As soon as we realized there wasn't going to be any deaths bar Kevin, it became a clock watching exercise. Oh, actually, there were more deaths than Kevin. There were three. But anyway, uh, Jody being an overly new who waster smug doctor. So the question is, is this going to be one that divides fandom and some people love and some people hate? Is there going to be a spectrum? I'm going to be very interested to listen to and read feedback over the next few days about this one. I'm really going to see how this one landed with other people. It's funny you say that because, yeah, the the first three episodes so far, you can sort of tell where they're going to go. People thought the first two were uh, pretty good. There was a few people who said they were no good. Rosa, I think most people said was great. There are a few people who said, yeah, I don't know. But this one, this could be the love and monsters of the series, Dave. Yeah, it really could. It really could. I'm, I'm, I'm genuinely am very interested to hear uh, other podcast views on this and, and see what is out there on social media. I'm really, really interested. 
Alrighty. Well, next episode is called The Surunga Conundrum. I noticed Jody's into the maroon shirt, but it looks like we're going into the future. So that shoots down uh, Steve's idea that uh, Jody <laughs> might be wearing different colored shirts when they go back to the past. Uh, unless it all is set in the past and that sci-fi looking trailer was just there to confuse and disorient us. I don't know. Until then, I've been Rob. And I've been Dave. We'll see you next time. You've been listening to The Doctor Who Show, the podcast where too much Doctor Who is barely enough. Subscribe to us on iTunes or listen through the website at www.thedwshow.net. Write to us at hello at thedwshow.net or send us a quickie on Twitter at thedwshow. Facebook.com forward slash thedwshow is also a good place to find us if you're so inclined. Our version of the Doctor Who theme arranged by George Locke. Look him up on YouTube, folks. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. Doctor Who, all names and sounds, and any other related items are trademarks and or copyrights of the BBC. All other trademarks and trade names are properties of their respective owners. The official Doctor Who website can be found at www.bbc.co.uk forward slash Doctor Who.